Hey, good evening, everybody. I'm Tom Dora with uh, National Association of Flight Instructors, and uh, tonight we've got a, a special briefing room for you. We've got a couple of couple of friends here and some uh, some rotary wing experts. Uh, like I said, I'm Tom Dora. I fly helicopters in the Air Force, and now I do some light fixed wing instruction. And I've got some guests here. We're going to talk about uh, some rotary wing flight characteristics and how those translate over to fixed wing, and uh, just talk about helicopters and uh, and and share some of some insights for, for some folks who've been uh, been out in the industry. So Ned, if you could introduce yourself and then we'll go around the room here and then we'll get started. Sure, Ned Parks, Akron, Ohio. Started flying helicopters in the Army back in the mid 80s. Was a flight instructor in the Army and then I was a 141 chief pilot of a school in Columbus, Ohio and we did just about everything down there. And then I flew EMS for a couple of different programs. And, and now I just do some flight instruction uh, in some couple of Enstroms and some Bell 47s and a couple of Jet Rangers. Fantastic. Mick, how about yourself? Yeah, my name is Mick Harper. I'm out here in Monument, Colorado. Uh, currently a Czech Airman and Training Captain for Air Methods. And uh, I fly the EC-130 and the AS-350, uh, trying to teach uh, folks how to do air ambulance operations and prep them to go out in the field. Uh, previous to that, which might be interesting, I did uh, fixed, in wing, fixed wing instruction for uh, DOS, uh, teaching uh, Marines and airmen how to fly uh, fixed wing aircraft prior to going to uh, undergraduate pilot training and jumping into a T-6 Texan II. So a little bit of a crossover fixed wing to rotary wing from there. Other than that, I was in the Air Force uh, for a long time. And you flew helicopters, right? I did. <laughs> couple, couple, I'm going to pull it out of you. So you can go <laughs> in the Air Force, Mick? Say again? What did you fly in the Air Force? I was a PAVOC driver in Bell 212s and then model Hueys as well. All right, fantastic. So lots of rotary wing experience. And Chris, uh, how about yourself? Yeah, uh, Chris Anderson, Jansville, Wisconsin. Uh, primarily a corporate pilot these days, flying a, a Challenger 605 and a Hawker 800. But uh, my uh, big side hobby is uh, flying and teaching in helicopters. Um, been flying, I've owned several Bell 47s. So if we want to get into a 47 conversation. We'll have a great time there. Uh, currently have a Bell 47 G2, and I still do a lot of instruction in the Robinsons, the Enstrom, some Bell 206. Uh, I'm very involved with the uh, Bell 47 operation that you see up at uh, Air Venture every year. With uh, We've got uh, four Bell 47s and one R44 and 12 pilots that uh, fly overhead for, uh, for seven, eight days for eight to nine hours a day. Uh, but that's most of, my, most of my stuff these days. That's cool. Okay. Uh, no, that sounds great. Right? So, so I think we got, a, we got a great diversity of experience uh, and some, uh, some wonderful, uh, wonderful guests here. So the Bell 47, that's uh, for some folks that may not realize, right? That's the, is that the MASH helicopter? It's the MASH helicopter. It's the first commercially certified helicopter um in the u.s by, for all practical purposes so it's yep the beginning of mash you see the, the bell 47 i believe that's a d or a d1 in there with the franklin engine and the and the tanks in there but that's what they use uh, and incidentally if anybody is uh that particular helicopter on mash is up for sale right now i saw so you can actually see the hi history on it uh if you want to go look at it it's a little out of my budget but um it's out there it's very out there that's really cool. All right. Well, well, hopefully we'll circle back to that because uh, I think Ned and I were talking, uh, you know, previously in the week, 
about this and we could probably talk for hours uh and <laughs> when you get four or certainly four pilots together let alone four helicopter pilots you never know what's going to happen so we'll, we'll get going so with all that experience that you know so we've all got fixed wing right we've all got so let's just kick right off what um as you see helicopter pilots or fixed wing go to helicopter what kind of skills translation do you see that works out really well when you when you teach or when you have an applicant, uh, or what 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 are some of the skills that that some rotor wing folks may need to work on? And, and Ned, I'll just throw it out there. And Ned, I'm just going to pick on you first. No, that's fine. I've got a transition student right now. He's a private pilot with I don't know six or eight hundred hours, and he's got his own Bell 47, and I'm getting a, a crossover uh, certificate right now, working with him. And I've done a ton of those over the years. Uh, I think the big thing is the typical not standard aeronautical knowledge stuff and airman uh, typical airmanship is a direct translation you know they understand an airport they understand a heading they understand that sort of thing where where they get tripped up a little bit uh come in this direction is they don't understand the speed at which things go bad and that's where you got to speed up their brain a little bit and there's no time for a checklist if you don't know what to do right away you're in trouble so i find that that getting them to speed up the game, if you will, is probably the biggest thing is a, is a problem for them uh, coming in that direction. Not that they can't do it. Obviously they can, but th that to me, that's the, the thing I always find a, a little bit. Uh, so Ned, do you see, you know, when we were, when I was in the Air Force and we would get check rides, and I think, you know, obviously the FAA kind of looks at this, we would look at, you know, broad categories, which are somewhat, you know, pass fail, safety, judgment, airmanship, things like that. Do you see that, um, you know, that they have that skill set when they come over or when they when they go to I, if, if they've been well trained? Yeah, if they, they have it in the fixed wing. They'll have it in the rotor craft. It, it's trying to understand the unique application and where we fly and how we fly and why we do it. This fella I'm working with right now, he said, could we just work on the helicopter doing everything at the airport that doesn't not include the runway? I don't know what to do. So. So I worked with him and then I called one of the local towers and I said, hey, if I bring a guy down there, can you work with us? He goes, absolutely. We'll give him everything that doesn't include a runway. Well, I'll throw everything at the, uh, awesome. That's what I need to do. And they're not a busy control tower at airport. So they say, yeah, we'd love to have you and, and we'll give you the run of the place. So, so good for him for understanding that he needed to, to, to do that. Hey, Mick, um, I'll throw the same uh, kind of what do, what do you What are your thoughts on I think that... Um, you know, the majority of the guys that I'm teaching right now are pretty highly experienced rotary wing uh, folks. But if I was to think about it and to pile onto what Ned's saying is, you know, they, like he said, the airmanship, air sense, you know, airspace knowledge, that, that all translates over. It's once you get below 60 knots, right? Things start to get a little different. And I'll, I'll pile onto what Ned was saying is, you know, once you lift this thing off the dolly, you're flying. There's no time to warm up as you taxi through a non-movement area get clearance on the taxiway alpha and get down to the hold short line. There's, you know, as you start to prepare your brain, once you lift, you're flying and you need to be aware of everything that can go wrong. Some special interest items that uh, the FAA is putting on us, you know, dynamic rollover, brownout, whiteout, flat light conditions, those kinds of things. And all that kind of stuff can happen as soon as you pull pitch uh, to just to, to hover taxi to your takeoff spot. Um, so those are probably some of the big issues that need to be worked right away as somebody is uh, you know, transitioning from fixed wing to rotary wing to understand that 
you need to be on your game as soon as you pull pitch, mm-hmm. because uh, that's when things can get a little silly if you're not careful and you're not thinking about what's happening out there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, so Chris, you know, one thing I always remember starting helicopter, certainly in the Huey, don't have a lot of time, but in the Blackhawk, uh, you know, as soon as we start engine number one, obviously it starts to get a little unbalanced and then it'll find its momentum. What do you, do you find similar things that Mick had mentioned about, you know, as soon as you lift off your flying, so your, your attention to detail, your, your game pace has to come on faster. Do you see that as well? Yeah, uh, I, I do. And I'll back up a little bit. I get this question a lot since I do, uh, as a pilot examiner, both airplanes and helicopters. And as soon as an airplane guy sees a, you know, finds out I do helicopters, they're always asking questions. And they says, does any of this stuff that I've learned here in the airplane transition to the helicopter? The fundamental knowledge does. But when I'm picking up a new student who is uh, coming from the airplane world, uh, I tell them, forget everything you know about flying an airplane for a minute. This is something new. It's a new feel. It's a new reaction. And that's where the difference is. So you can read a book on how to fly a helicopter. You can read a book on how to fly an airplane. Airplane, you're maybe a little bit more successful at getting the airplane up off the ground and back on. Helicopter, not so much. You can read the book, but you still won't have the touch and the feel of doing that. And some of the things that I see from uh, airplane coming into the helicopter, some things don't transition well. For example, uh, you know, low G or negative G and the responses to it. Uh, there's some bad habits that we have in, uh, well, they're good habits in an airplane that don't transition uh, to a helicopter. And for example, that negative G is one of them, that kind of thing. Um, and and you know, pedal work is different and, and just adjusting to the feel of the aircraft. But, you know, once we start up, yeah, one, you know, like you say, the getting that transition, thinking as soon as something's starting or turning to spin, uh, we're flying, we're actively involved into the end of the game, you know, right then and there, there's, you know, he made a valid point. You don't have the time to taxi out and, you know, make little mistakes in an airplane where a little mistake in a helicopter in the same transition because it's an entirely different game. You know, that Mick, that's a great point. I hadn't, uh, cause you know, where I, where I fly from and most people five minute taxi or a point one or a point two to get there. So you kind of have your time to taxi, do your taxi check. And yeah, with the helicopter, I mean, you're, like you said, on a dolly and you're, it's, it's go time right there. So let me, uh, you know, let, let me throw one throw another one out there, you know, in terms of translating the skills from like a 180 to like a, a turning auto rotation or a steep approach to like a uh, short field, Chris, I'll, I'll kind of pose this one to you. Do you see that skill set and that kind of awareness of what's going on, what the aircraft is doing, what the environment's doing, and then how that pilot can react? Do you see those skills uh, in the rotor wing pilot these days? Um, I don't see them from the transition from the airplane to the helicopter. I mean, um, for example, you know, most of the, the steep approaches and confined is combined with uh, confined area or off airport operation where an airplane is strictly that, you know, stay into an airport, whether it be grass field or otherwise. Um, the, the ideas are very, you know, similar as far as energy management, but the manipulation of the controls and, um, for example, on a steep approach, feeling for that uh, ETL, um, as you're riding down on a steep approach, there isn't that in an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still dealing with, you know, pitch and power, 
um, you know, and, and cyclic and collective, there's some energy management principles that are very similar, but really the control manipulation isn't, isn't exactly uh, uh, the same from that aspect of it. Um, the autos for, if we have a commercial airplane pilot coming to uh, the commercial helicopter or even a private helicopter, the 180 autos, uh, the interesting thing I've seen with people is that they're, if they're good doing their 180s in the helicopter, it, they really get good at their 180 in the, uh, in the airplane. So, and I think that sight picture judgment that they see in the helicopter where the, where the um, touchdown point or the aim point is moving up the windshield or down the windshield uh, really sets home much better in the helicopter than a lot of people do in, in, the, uh, in the airplane. So I, I see that there, but um, otherwise not so much. You don't see a, a huge correlation or people aren't making that correlation between the, the two airplane versus helicopter type of thing. Okay, uh, Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, uh, you, know, you know, okay. Yeah, I, I think there are translation skills. I'm going to come at it from a different perspective in the fact that um, where I work now, flying turbines, um, and this may, this may or may not be true, so take that for what it's worth, but there is a tendency to um, not rely so much on other rotations, even in a single engine helicopter, because quote unquote, turbines don't fail. Well, they do every now and again, and it's still a, a valuable skill set. But to, to your point, to your, and then some of that could also be the operator and what risk the operator is willing to take uh, as far as their instruction. <clears throat> I digress. So to your point though, I would say, what I have found is I think with respect to confined area work and remote operations in a helicopter, that translates actually back to fixed wing because the wind awareness, the elevation, the temperature, what is the density altitude, those kinds of things that are very important flying a helicopter off airport or to a confined area, um, all of a sudden back now when I'm flying up to, uh, you know, Vail, right, or Eagle um, in a fixed wing, Cessna 172, I realized that the DA today is 12,000 feet and I, the winds are probably pretty darn important. So it does go back that way. And that's kind of what I'll talk to as far as the translation is flying rotary wing and learning how to fly rotary wing off airport can only enhance your ability to understand your environment that you're flying in. Okay. Ed, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, two things specifically as Chris was talking about winds. I find that, that my fixed wing students can't figure out the winds if they don't hear it or see a sock. And my, and my helicopter students can look at a wave, they look at treetops, they look at smoke, they look at it because we don't have that in 90% of the environment we're in. So I'm always trying to teach that to the fixed wing side is, is it, it, whether they're coming over to helicopters or I'm doing fixed wing instruction is, you know, you're on a cross country, what are your winds doing to you? Well, I don't know, you know, I gotta look at my GPS. Well, let, let's look down at the ground. I, you know, there's, there's all these cues, let's have a look at them. So that's something I find interesting. The other thing, Tom, that, that I, I and, and I'm just, I guess I'm just completely a, a, an idiot about this and that's power management. Um, way more than a helicopter and way more in a piston helicopter than a turbine helicopter. And, and that's because, you know, you're controlling the RPM and you can get the rotor low and you can, all these things can go wrong. And, and I, I've got an interesting situation. This, this fellow that I'm working with uh, uh, and another fellow I worked with, they flew with a, a, an instructor, helicopter instructor who had 
had started his career in the military had has never flown a piston helicopter in his life. So I'm getting in there going, why are you letting your rotor RPM get down? And he's going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, the other instructor doesn't either because they've flown in a turbine, you know, you wind it up and you go. It's, it's yeah, right. It's just all good. So, so power management, I think is another issue that I'm just crazy about. I spent too much time going to offshore oil rigs, hospital helipads, you know, everything else. And, and you can't ask for the power at the end of that, those maneuvers. If you don't have it collected up before you get there, it's too late. And, and so I think power management is huge that, that a fixed wing guy sets it and just goes, you know, I've got 3000 feet of runway and I'll get there and it'll be a little longer, be a little short, but I'll get there. Right. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. And Chris, when you give, as a, as a DPE, when you, when you examine an applicant, do you see kind of those similar things with power management? What are, what are some oh, yeah. yeah, I see a lot in the power management. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, I'm doing most of that Bell 47 stuff up at EAA. So we're dealing with piston uh, powered helicopters on hot days. Power management, energy management is a huge, we, uh, huge issue. We talk about it every year at our recurrent training. We have a wide variety of helicopter pilots um, that, that get it. They're all good group and we haven't had any issues in years. But anyway, it, it's on a check ride and a teaching perspective, um, I can tell the difference, for example, a good 47 pilot and how they manipulate their uh, throttle in the collective is, is outstanding. If I see it going from one way or to the other, um, there's issues involved. Um, and, and we do the same thing. Like uh, he was saying with um, his other Bell 47 student and the instructor that had no uh, piston helicopter time, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And you know, we'll see that in the first, uh, you know, probably as soon as the helicopter lifts off, mm -hmm. you know, you know, they'll, they'll pull it into the air or rather than getting it light on the skids and watching the RPM, making a throttle or collective adjustment as the helicopter comes off the ground. We'll see it right then and there, how they, how they manipulate that stuff. Um, the majority of check rides I end up doing these days are in Robinson products. And with the governor there, a lot of that stuff gets masked until Either we're doing, uh, you know, a governor failure or something like that, and, and um, you know, we'll do something like turn the governor off and, and do a steep approach or a shallow approach and running landing and watch how they uh, handle the RPM changes, uh, you know, as they fly the pattern, as they make the approach and even the touchdown and see how well they manage it. Um, you can tell the good ones. <laughs> What I'm thinking about in the fixed wing applications when I take someone who's, you know, never flown a complex airplane and now they've got to manipulate a prop. And, and what's coming in my head or what I, what I think of is that you know, I was taught slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Uh, and because you can jam that prop forward, the airplane does whatever it does. And it's completely different in a multi, certainly when you're, when you're dragging the throttles and stuff like that. So that's, those are really good. Those are really good point outs. So now shift and focus kind of taken uh, from VFR into IFR, you know, what about, uh, you know, inadvertent IMC? Because not every helicopter pilot is going to be instrument rated. Not every helicopter pilot is going to have been into a cloud or in an, in an, in an instrument situation. What are, what are some of your thoughts? Mick, I'll start with you about inadvertent IMC or just instrument. What, what are some of your thoughts with helicopter pilots? And, and, so um, let me, 
so in my industry that I work in, you have to have an instrument ticket. And, uh, but both helicopters that I fly and teach on are not certified for instrument flight, right? So uh, you have to have the instrument ticket, but that doesn't mean so there's a difference between currency and proficiency. What I have found is that two, a couple of things, if uh, one of our pilots has fixed wing background, they're probably a pretty good instrument pilot uh, because they've probably been in the clouds. Most of our heli pure helicopter pilots have very little actual IMC time. They have very little actual, I've just lost my peripheral vision, one, uh, one peak's worth a thousand cross checks, right? <laughs> so there, and the other thing is, depends upon the kind of helicopter they did their instrument training in, I've had some pilots come to me and say, well, I just rely on the BSI. Okay, I understand it because the attitude indicator in the helicopter that they trained in was worthless. But that does not take away the fact that Instrument flying is still pitching power, pitching power, pitching power. Set your power, get your trim right, and then everything's on the attitude indicator, and then let the performance instruments tell you what you're doing right or wrong, and then you correct from there. Um, so what I think has been, I think two things there, what I think is invaluable, if you're thinking about inadvertent IMC from a helicopter, because most helicopters out there are VFR operations, but you're concerned about instrument work, go jump on a fixed wing, because it's reasonably priced, and frankly, you'll be able to get, actually get in the clouds and get that feeling of what the giant hand feels like, what the lanes feel like, and actually know I have to trust my instruments. Uh, and number two, um, don't ever go in the clouds. I try to teach my guys and gals that I fly with. They're all really great, in my opinion, uh, stick and rudder pilots for the most part. But when you get them into the clouds, they get a little nervous. And that's more of just not comfortable than it is than, than a, it's a, probably a confidence issue uh, more than anything. So let's get them in the clouds and we can do that in the simulators that I teach you now, which is a good thing. But I tell them, hey, I want you to have a healthy respect for the IMC condition. The fact that these helicopters we're flying do not belong in the clouds. But if you find yourself there, I want you to have the confidence to be able to fly the aircraft and bring it back home safely via, via the nearest suitable approach. And I think that's kind of the goal that I'm going for. So the takeaway is if you're Concerned about flying inadvertent IMC, IFR in a helicopter, frankly, go get some time in a fixed wing and uh, get yourself in the clouds would be my takeaway. Awesome. Ned, I know you instruct, you know, I know we, we talked about your instrument ticket and stuff like that. You know, you're flying both very actively. What, what are some of your thoughts on, on that or just IFR or instrument flying in helicopter? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore about um, inadvertent IMC in a helicopter is the most unforgivable sin in the world. Uh, we can set down anywhere. We can, we can slow down to ridiculously. Why? You know, it, it's just, if you do it, you should be slapped. I mean, it's bad enough in a fixed wing, but at least, you know, in a fixed wing, I get it, right? You, you know, you're stuck up there, you're doing 60 or 50 or you're stalling, you're terrified. I get it, right? A helicopter, I, it's to me, it's the unforgivable sin. It's there's absolutely zero excuse for going IMC in a helicopter, uh, un announced. I mean, inadvertently, it just it just should never happen. So, so I'm I'm really adamant about that. I just jump up and down and I beat and and, and I, you know I, I flew with a guy in the army and I'll never forget we were in some pretty nasty weather and he taught me a great thing that has rung in my head ever since. Slow down, don't outrun your visibility. And I've never forgot that little lesson. You know, if we don't outrun our visibility and we don't have to from a speed standpoint, then we shouldn't do it. 
Um, and, and as far as what Mick just said about, you know, get, go out there and get some actual time in a fixed swing. It, you know, th these operations that get all, well, your time in a fixed swing doesn't count or your time in a helicopter doesn't count. And it's like, get over yourself. You're, you don't impress me. Of course, it, of course it, of course it counts, right? It all counts. We all learn something from it um, for sure. And, and, you know, Mick, you made a good point today for 60 bucks an hour, we can go to our local FBO and get an FA approved, really nice simulator somewhere and go play around in that and see what it's like, turn all the lights out and, and, and force yourself into it. I was in a simulator today and, and put cat one in there in a 172 and made myself squirm all the way to the runway. And I mean, I was, I was like, <laughs> but it, you know, it really, it, it is a way to expose ourselves to those things. And we should be doing that. I don't care what airframe the simulator is that for that experience, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it's fixed wing or rudder wing. It just doesn't matter. But, but shame on the guy that goes invert and IMC in a helicopter. It, uh, that, that, that's a great point. And, and, you know, Mick and I both had assignments over in Iceland. Uh, and, you know, the helicopter we used to fly had anti almost good but to a certain limit and we learned to respect the weather and then, you know, back then there wasn't fourth flight you know i don't even think aviationweather.gov or stuff like that we didn't have that up there we had tv cameras up in every building to look at the weather and all that stuff and, and it taught us a healthy respect for not only icing but ceiling visibility and certainly winds and we, you know we where i teach we've got a bunch we've got a rotor to uh, a rotor transition course and we got a lot of helicopter bases in Virginia, you know, uh, where I live. And, and it's interesting, it was lit, there was, we had one guy, one student who's flying with a friend of mine. He's a 53 uh, pilot. So, you know, he's flying a gigantic helicopter, uh, Echo. So it, I think it's got three engines. It's the mine towing one, or the mine sweeper. Brother. And, and winds for him, I think it was like the winds at the airport were, I think, 15 gusts, 25, 10 degrees off. You know, and the young instructor's like, oh, that's and, and I'm looking at the just I'm just sitting in the back kind of watching. I was doing some paperwork and I'm just watching this conversation go down. And the and the helicopter pilot's like, not a big deal. And, and I kind of look, I kind of I'm just watching and I'm like, not a big deal in a I don't know what a 53 grosses out at, but maybe 50, 60,000. I said you can just turn. I said, this is a 2400 pound aluminum fixed aircraft that lands at 55 or 60 knots. Said, that, that's kind of a uh, so I just thought it was an interesting conversation. Okay, so how about, what do you think about, uh, or what are some thoughts about, you know, in fixed wing, I see a lot of electronic flight bags and iPads and digital cockpits. Do you see some, uh, what do you see in the helicopter world? Uh, kind of the same um, activity towards that or because helicopters obviously fly, you know, in a little bit of a different regime. Do you see that kind of um, activity and, and action and, and usage of electronic flight bags? You know, iPads and stuff like that. I'll just throw that one out there. That's that's just a, a free question, anyway. Um, I'll, I'll I'll jump out. I'll bite. So here's mine, right? Is my iPad that I take with me, I have to carry with me, and I've got my complete flight and my four flight and all that sort of thing, and it's fantastic. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, I've got depending on the bird I fly, I've got two four thirties plus a GMX two hundred, or I've got a six fifty seven fifty plus uh, a G five hundred H. I almost have too much information. And um, as, as I enter maturity um, and my beard whitens up, um, yeah, I got it, man, but you still got to know how to read a map. 
And I defer back to Ned and I go, you still got to look out and go, what are the winds doing? Um, you still got to look out and see, you know, look at the clouds and go, oh, those are lenticular clouds. What do they mean? Right. Well, that's mountain wave, dude. Hey, maybe not a good day to press West. Um, those kinds of things. I think there's all kinds of great information from an electronic flight bag, but it's an interesting feed to follow when you jump on Facebook or Bookface or six pack or whatever. And you go to the four flight users and you look at all the questions they're asking half of which I don't even understand, but they're, and they're good questions, but man, I don't need to tape every single flight. I personally, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about all my trouble. I'm worried about, am I, do I have the, let's go back to what Chris was talking about. Do I have the power and the power management to go do what I want to go do to go where I want to go? I, what's the density altitude? Do I have the gas? I mean, some real basics. So there's a different level, right? And then I'll, I'll get off the stage here, but you know, we got to start out. We still need the stick and rotor basics. What's a, what's a good helicopter pilot. All right. You're, you're there. Now we can press and start looking at the cool tools that are available to us. Chris, as an examiner, what, what, what do you see as, as, as a plan cross country flights? Say, you know, I, I kind of grew up on paper and now I'm kind of splitting the difference with iPads because I'm always fail <laughs> or I'm going to something on it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I see more people, especially the newer pilots getting into the iPads and the, and the, um, all the stuff, you know, whether it be a 430 or whatever's in their helicopter these days. And um, the interesting part, I just uh, signed off, uh, well, I guess it's been a year ago now that I signed off a private pilot helicopter. And we started with paper and then we transitioned into the iPad. So we had a, a understanding of what was going on and what needed to be done and you know, wind correction angles and variation and deviation where, hey, four flight takes care of a lot of that for you. you know? And now it became an issue of how do we manage these devices in the aircraft? So, um, and that's an interesting part too, because I'll have guys, they'll get the suction cup, um, iPad holder, you know, stuck right up here in, in right in their face. And I'm like, that's, that's not the place for it. So, you know, learning how to actually cockpit management and then the management of the device themselves are, are really what needs to be uh, uh, set up. And a good instructor could, can help them do that uh, rather than just say, oh, that's great. Let's go use it. Or, you know, worse yet, I don't know anything about that device over there. You take care of it and there's no guidance on it. So when I see an applicant coming for a check ride, they're fumbling through stuff because they don't really have a, a flow or SOP for handling their uh, the advanced cockpit technology, whether it be an iPad or uh, you know a Garmin product in the helicopter. So it, that's probably the biggest thing. It, knowing the basics first, taking it into the advanced stuff and then managing that, uh, that resource. And making sure that whatever automation, whether it's, you know, a G1000, Avidyne, or whatever, whatever FMS you have, whatever that presentation is, you know, it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. And you got to make sure that presentation makes sense. Ned, what do you, what do you see in some of your instructions? So, yeah, I, I'm, you know, fully into the tech. I'm fine with it. I, I don't, I, I don't believe in walking backwards. You know, I, I just made this argument the other day to somebody, well, then, then take the GPS out of your airplane and, and, you know, why do you have that fuel management uh, electronic thing? Take that out, you know, 
and and I was having a conversation with an examiner who refuses to let people use them, which just aggravates the living you know what right out of me at a level you can't even believe. And here's my argument to that. My argument is, okay, fine. He proved to you you can do it on paper because you wouldn't let him even touch the iPad. He buys one tomorrow and goes out and kills himself because nobody's touched it. He's not had instruction, to Chris's point, he's not had instruction from anybody to do anything. And now we don't have any control over him anymore. Right? So that just, I, I, that really bothers me. I, I, I learned, and, and this has been kind of recent for me, uh, Tom, I'm treating now, whether it's an avionics that's bolted to the aircraft or it's in my hand, uh, iPad, to me, I'm treating it like it's another aircraft system and I have to learn it as well as the fuel system. Now, now, now there, there's a limit to that. There may be things it does I don't need, fine, then I'm not gonna learn that. But whatever I'm gonna use, I need to understand it really well. No, that's a good point because what I see in some of my students, both if they're you know, helicopter coming or fixed wing or just fixed wing is they, they got their iPad and they're trying to program whatever Whatever product we have on the on the panel, and I said, well, what happens when those don't match up, or you, you get distracted, or you you know right. whatever? And they look here, and they're not all of them are chilling in the magenta line, but they. they <laughs> and I can see it when they're when they're in the clouds or when they're in the foggles, and they're and they're flying like this. I'm like, I'm like you know, the inverted V and the six pack. I don't care if it's on a on a digital or not. I said, just just stay in your little area. So it's very interesting. But I, I, so do your students respond to that, Ned, when you say have mastery of that system, just like you would fuel or electronic? Yeah. And to me, I don't care if it's a paper map or an electronic map. I still have to know how to read it. Right. So I need to know what that little blue thing that looks like this is. I don't care if it's electronically imaged to me or comes off a of paper. I still have to know what that is. Right. And I have to know what that little funny, weird thing is. It's blue. That's a lake. Hello. You know, I don't care how I get, how I absorb it doesn't matter to me. I still have to know what the symbols mean. I have to know how to navigate. And, and so to me, I, I go, uh, what's, why are we having this argument, right? It, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's, it's a, to Mick's point, a ton of information, but let's spend some time managing the information and know how to use it. And, and let's make sure that we allow that information, know it well enough, we allow it to keep ourselves out of trouble, right? Oh. And it can be really helpful, really helpful. Well, it's a tool, just like everything. All right, so as we get ready to wrap up, you know, and you guys are in the industry, you're teaching, you got thousands of hours of, of rotary wing and fixed wing experience. So I'm going to start with Ned. Ned, if you if if you were a young or a recurring uh, rotary wing pilot watching us tonight, in 30 seconds or a minute, what advice would you give uh, the pilot? Run. <laughs> run go fixed wing what are you crazy no uh, I'm, I'm i'm joking uh you know um i i can tell you i think that there's probably there's no finer feeling in the world that when you find the hover button and i you know i'll never forget when i found mine uh, as a student in the army is like oh my god you know it's there that it, there's no finer feeling for the instructor when I find more, more satisfaction when my student finds a hover button than when I teach a student to grease a 172. That's like, yeah, whatever. Just hold it there and you're, you'll get it, right? Just stop moving and it'll grease on. 
you can't do that with the hover, right? You've got to be working it, right? So it's like, oh, shit, it's great. So I would tell people, you know, if nothing else, go go get 10 hours. Go, go get enough instruction to where you hover. I don't care if you ever solo. I think it'll make you a better pilot, of course, but I think we should step across all boundaries. I mean, my, my goal this year, it's a rating a year for me. This year's gliders, right? So um, I don't care what the rating is. Go get a rating a year. Doesn't matter to me what it is. So go, go solo a helicopter and don't even worry about it. Never go see Chris for the rating if, if you don't want to do that or you don't have it in your budget. But just, just get the experience, right? It, just go get the experience, whatever your budget will allow. All right. I love it. Mick, over to you. Yeah. So I would just say a couple of things, right? And I'll look at it from a different perspective than Ned, which I actually really appreciated that those comments. Uh, but if you're going to be in the helicopter industry and your, your goal is that, be humble and be wary of complacency. And what I mean by that is uh, I get all kinds of pilots that come into the air ambulance business and the air ambulance is just one aspect of the business. Utility pilots usually can take a lot of curveballs, and that's really neat to watch them be able to just flex left and right and do what they want. Military pilots, and I'm one of them, sometimes we have trouble checking our ego at the door, and we need to do that. Uh, tour pilots uh, sometimes need a little bit more broadening. Uh, so what I'm saying is don't get stuck in the paradigm of this is what I do and I'm a good pilot. In other words, Go ahead, you know, if you go, if you're just going from point A to point B every single day, man, you maybe need to go do some hover work, man. Maybe you need to go jump in the sim, and and I need to put you at a 75 foot hover over a helipad and see if see if that high velocity chart truly is uh, correct. And we can do that in the sim, uh, so that you can build those skills out, such that you uh, at least regain currency, but uh, become proficient in those skill sets that you're not accomplishing. Because I think, frankly, a helicopter pilot's got a little bit more broad skill set, and that doesn't mean good or bad, just uh, available options to them from the job that you do with the machine. Awesome. Chris, how about you? I, you know, flying is basically a gift. I enjoy it no matter what I'm flying, airplane, helicopter, or the glider. I love doing gliders or gyrocopters. It, it, it truly is. And a lot of people ask me, which do I enjoy more? And to be honest, it's whatever I'm doing at the time. I, I find value in that. And to emphasize what the other guys are doing, uh, talking about their, number one, go and do it. Get out there, get a little bit of experience. The bite hits hard and it hits quick. But the other thing to realize is that helicopter flying gives us probably more freedom in the uh, in the air than any other type of flying. We can take off and land almost anywhere. We can go fast, we can go slow. We can do a billion things in our job description if we work it out into a career. But with that freedom also becomes responsibilities. So we have a responsibility not only to ourselves, but to the industry and to the passengers, to anybody even just standing on the ground. And we need to take that part of it, of it seriously. Otherwise we're gonna have other issues down the road from, uh, you know, noise complaints to accidents and anything in between. So, you know, the freedom's there, just be responsible and, and have a great time doing it. Yeah, no, I, I think that those are all great inputs. And, you know, one thing I tell my, my students all fixed wing now is, you know, I said, once you get your ticket, right, it's up to you to maintain currency and proficiency. We got all that. 
But I said, build yourself a personal proficiency plan. I said, you know, and there's only 90 days, right, for fixed wings. You take off some landings. That, that's just to carry passengers and at night, and we know it's full stops and all that stuff. I said, but there's no there's no currency for power off 180, for a steep approach, for a short approach, all this stuff. So I said, build that plan. I said, if you need help building something, I'll I'll build, I'll help you build it because and and keep those skills sharp. And I try and teach them, you know, what's the weakest area you have, and it might be for helicopter slope landings or power off 180s or something like that, and then work on that. Find an instructor, find an affinity club. There's IMC clubs, you know, there's a all sorts of, you know, NAFI's got a great professional development program. There's a plug for that, John Niehaus, as he, uh, and, and they've got great opportunities. And, and, and then I really like, I'm going to steal your uh, rating a year uh, uh, to, to cash in now for Christmas. I don't know what I'm going to get, but I'm, I'll come up with something. Doesn't matter. Doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter. Maybe I'll come see Chris and get my uh, get my helicopter, my Robinson, uh, ten hours and get checked out in, in the Robbie. There. there you go. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, fun. Uh, okay. Well, hey, thanks for joining us uh, here, folks. And uh, you know, just uh, thanks for all your experience and your time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next briefing room. 